is the one essential book that everybody needs to become familiar with. But there are um, there are other Christian books that can be helpful and encouraging to you in your Christian life. I want to talk about four of them this morning, just briefly. Uh, first is this one. This is called The Little Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, uh, It's really wonderful. Uh, it has, you know, I have tried to read the actual Pilgrim's Progress many times. Uh, it's all in poetry. Um, it's, it's, honestly, I found it kind of a slog. Okay. Um, but this is the Little Pilgrim's Progress, and so this has pictures, and uh, and the, the words are big on the page, and um, and that helps me, right? Uh, and it and it describes the story of Christian and his friend uh, Christiana and their journey to the celestial city where the great king, uh, the lion, uh, lives, and uh, the things they encounter along the way and the battles they have to fight and overcome and so forth. They go through um, the the slew of despondency and, uh, you know, the vanity fair where all the frivolous things of the world try to suck you in and keep you from uh, from following uh, the king all the way uh, to his celestial city. It's really wonderful. Um, I found it encouraging to read and also um, spiritually um, uh, beneficial. So I want to encourage you on that. Also, we're going to put this one in the library. This is a Bible story every child should know. Now, if you have uh, been hearing hearing about this the last few weeks, Karen and I are going to try to revive our Sunday school for kids starting next week. We're going to go through the biggest uh, the biggest story Bible story curriculum, 104 stories walking through the whole Bible. But if you want to um, to do some of that um, with your own kids, you can take a book like this, Bible Stories Every Kid Should Know, and uh, walk them through. Again, there's lots of pictures and big words, so um, or at least words in big print, small words in big print, and um, <laughs> and that you may find that helpful uh, if you don't know um, the story of the Bible or the stories in it. Uh, the next one, this one is uh, called You Are a Theologian by uh, Jen Wilkin, J.T. English. Um, and um, it's a, it's a what I would call just a basic theology book that's written for adults. Uh, how, uh, what does the Bible say about uh, some of these major doctrines? And helpfully, there, is, there are discussion questions in the back, much like what we've done with our uh, catechism book that we put together. There are discussion questions in the back so you can sit with a small group or you can sit with your family and talk about what does the Bible teach about all these various doctrines. Now, um, this last book is also not for kids, uh, but if you're married, you will find helpful and encouraging. It's called God, Sex, and Your Marriage by Dr. Julie Slattery. And uh, some of you may wonder what God has to do with sex. And what he has, to, what all those things have to do with your marriage. And if you are confused about that, this is a book that will help you answer that question. That uh, that in actuality, the gospel is to shape everything in our life, including in its most intimate details, including what happens behind closed doors between husbands and wives. And so this book is really, really helpful. Uh, very good. Uh, very insightful, connects the gospel to, like I say, 
some of the most intimate details of life. And so if you've not, if you have some questions about that or wondering about that, um, even if you just want to be encouraged in uh, this part of your life, which is an important part of marriage, um, this is a great book. And uh, Dr. Dr. Julie Slattery actually has a ministry called Authentic Intimacy um, that deals with a lot of these kinds of issues, a podcast called Java with Julie. Uh, that is also good to listen to if that's the kind of wavelength you're on. Uh, I don't need something to listen to in the car that would be encouraging about my marriage and about my life. Uh, that would be a good one to, to look into. Um, now, with all of that kind of preliminary stuff out of the way, a couple things I want to just share with you. One, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but at my house, when, when all my kids were growing up, uh, whenever the um, whenever church let out, uh, it was like um, we had been running a refugee camp and everybody was starved to death uh, when we got out of church, right? Today, we have a solution to that, and it's called a potluck, <laughs> Right? And there is enough food to feed, I think, several refugee camps in the back of this building. And so we would like all of you to please stay and, uh, and eat and enjoy some, some connection time and opportunity to build relationships um, with your, your brothers and sisters here. You know, um, worship together is good. And talking for a few minutes before the service or after the service is good. But one of the essential things of the Christian life is that you don't do it alone. You do it with your brothers and sisters and the family of God. And part of what we want to do is facilitate the building of those kinds of brother-sister relationships. And so, so please do stay. Take the opportunity to, uh, if you're a parent, feed your kids for free. Okay? <laughs> and... Uh, and and if you're um, and if you didn't bring anything today, no one cares. Stay and eat and enjoy uh, some time with the rest of us. Last thing, um, uh, Nikki Keedy, who's an old friend of uh, Chillicothe Bible Church, asked me if if we would pray this morning. She has a custody hearing tomorrow, um, and ask us if we would pray for her in that. So I'm going to do that, and then we're going to look at the of Acts together. Uh, God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us in the hard places in our lives, and that when life is difficult and um, painful, that you are with us even in those moments, too. Uh, Father, we do pray for our sister Nikki, and we pray that your will will be done in this in this custody hearing tomorrow, we pray that that um, that which is best would be the outcome tomorrow, and that you would be glorified, and that you would um, give Nikki a sense of your presence with her uh, in all these things. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this is week number 13. In our 15-week study, uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told, 
Uh, we've been seeing how every part of the Bible points us to Jesus, how every part of the Bible is therefore helpful as we seek to know and love and obey Jesus in every part of our lives. And this morning what we're doing is looking at the book of Acts, which begins with its author, Luke, telling us uh, Luke was a physician, a friend of the Apostle Paul, one of the early Christians. Um, and uh, Luke wrote two books. He actually wrote, believe it or not, the more of the New Testament than anyone else. So if that trick question ever comes up, who wrote the most verses of the New Testament? Okay, You would think it would be Paul, but you'd be wrong. Um, there are actually more words written by Luke in the New Testament than any other New Testament author. Okay, um, But uh, he begins by telling us some things about Jesus and His kingdom at the very beginning uh, of the book of Acts. And since I'm going to read God's Word to you, I invite you to stand with me if you're able, as I read uh, from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is what the Word of God says to us. In, my, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. God our Father, we know well the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And Father, we are part of the story of what Jesus is continuing to do and teach in the world today. And Father, we pray that we would be your faithful witnesses as part of that story. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, a lot to unpack in those eight verses, but just three things I want to highlight for us briefly as uh, as we look at this this morning. Uh, one, look at how the author Luke describes uh, what it's about. His first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, uh, is the account, according to Luke, of everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until His ascension into heaven. And that implies that this book, the book of Acts, is in some sense about Jesus continuing deeds, and teaching through His people. You have to continue reading to find out how that works, but the church is Jesus' ongoing ministry on earth. You want to see Jesus here today? He's here. Jesus is here working and teaching through His people, the church, which makes the church the most important thing on the face of the earth. The church is 
the body of Jesus Christ. It is, it is working and teaching people on the earth today. The church is the most important thing, therefore, on the earth today. It is not, it's not a country. It's not a political party. It's not a, um, it's not a possession. It's an organism connected to Jesus through whom he, he, he continues His ongoing work and teaching. Amen? So, uh, second thing you want to see, Jesus does not say that there is no future restoration of the kingdom to Israel. He does not say that. You need to see that. He's, what He says is, is that when that will happen is not the apostles' business. He says, you know what? It's not your business to know the times or the dates that the Father is fixed by His own authority. Um, but here's what you need to know as God's people here this morning. Uh, God's promises are irrevocable. Meaning, God is not going to go back on what He's already promised. Okay? Why is that important, by the way? If God were to go back on His promises to Israel, who else would He go back on His promises to? Me, right? <laughs> and you. And so we want to make sure that God's promises are irrevocable, and the Bible says repeatedly that they are. So, will Israel have her kingdom restored? Yes. Her king and her kingdom will be restored, and you and I will be a part of it. According to Romans chapter 9-11, through we've been grafted into the olive tree of God's people. So we will share in that. When will that happen? Well, uh, it will happen after the great tribulation of the last days. When will that be? Not my business. <laughs> right? Not yours to know, uh, you know or mine to know either. Uh, finally, notice the commission. The commission that Jesus gives them to be His witnesses. Beginning where they are in Jerusalem. Expanding to all of Israel's historic territory, Judea and Samaria, going out from there to the edges of the world till everyone everywhere has heard about Jesus and His coming kingdom. So, this is the commission. You can call it the Great Commission if you want. Okay, Jesus repeats it in various ways in uh, all of the Gospels as well as here. Uh, why does He repeat it various ways? Uh, why, do you, why does it read slightly differently? Well, Jesus was with them at various points over 40 days. Which leads me to think that He repeated this more than once. <laughs> so that they got it. Right? In the meantime, while I'm gone, here's what you should be doing. Right? Uh, you're called to make disciples of all nations. To go out from here all over the world. So this commission is the beginning of the church. And what's the church? Well, there's a lot that we'll talk about both this week and next week, but to begin with, it is the embassy and the herald of God's kingdom. You know what an embassy is? An embassy is an outpost of another kingdom, another nation, on foreign on foreign soil. But do you know? I don't know if you know this, but like whenever wherever the U.S. has an embassy, like in London or in Mumbai or in you know, Beijing or wherever the U.S. has an embassy, that is sovereign U.S. territory right there. 
That is an outpost of the United States of America. Right? That's why taking over someone's embassy like the Iranians did in 79 is a very big deal. Because it's an act of war to take over somebody else's embassy. That's their sovereign territory. Right? So the, U- the, the, uh, the church is the embassy of God's kingdom. It is little outposts of sovereign territory of the kingdom of God. And also it is the herald. What's our job? To proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. To, to announce the gospel by which men and women can be saved and become a part of God's kingdom. Amen? So, uh, so this commission reveals to us the first of six truths I want to show you about the church, the community of God's people through whom Jesus continues to minister and teach in the world up to the present day, which is this, that the church is Jesus sent. The church is Jesus sent. Lots of times I've heard people say things like, well, I don't believe in organized religion. I just want to follow Jesus. But that is as ridiculous as saying you want to go to Disney World but not ride any rides, eat at any restaurants, or shop in any stores. Right? You don't really want to go, apparently. Right? You don't really want to follow Jesus if you don't want to be part of the body which He forms and creates. Which him, with Himself as the head. Human beings did not, hear me out on this, human beings did not invent the church. We don't get to decide how it looks, or how it's structured, or how it's supposed to be. Because Jesus invented the church. Because the church is His body, and as His body, it is the organism through which Jesus is working and teaching today. The church is not an organization. The church has organization, but the church is an organism. It is a living thing. And He sent us on this mission together as His body, the church, to carry on His work and teaching in every part of the world. The church is also, as you keep reading the book of Acts, you find that the church is also Spirit-filled. You'll see immediately in chapter 2 the Holy Spirit's arrival just like Jesus promised. And when the Spirit comes, two things happen immediately. First, something like tongues of fire appear above the heads of every follower of Jesus, symbolizing that the presence of God is returned to His people. Only this time, it isn't a pillar of fire resting over the Holy of Holies at the temple. That building was important until the Spirit of God came. then it lost all significance because the true Holy of Holies that that structure pointed to was the indwelling presence of God in His people. Just as Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel promised and prophesied what happened when the New Covenant came, it came and the Holy Spirit came and rested above the heads of His people symbolizing this is now the dwelling place of God. The other thing that happens is that God supernaturally enables these uh, Spirit-filled people to speak in the languages of all the nations to which the Jews assembled in Jerusalem for Pentecost have been scattered and uh, where they're now living. 
after the exile, remember we talked about the exile a few weeks ago? Jews went all over the world. They were called the diaspora, the, the dispersed ones, right? So they went all over the then known world and they're speaking all kinds of different languages. Some of them didn't know Hebrew. Some of them couldn't read the Bible in Hebrew. In fact, that's why we got the Greek translation of the Bible called uh, the Septuagint. Okay? Uh, and, so, and so those people are speaking all these different languages, but they all come back to Jerusalem to worship God. And while they're there, the Spirit of God is poured out and God supernaturally communicates the Gospel through His people as they begin speaking in the languages all these places where these scattered people had gone. This was a sign to them, by the way, that the new covenant had come and that God is reestablishing His kingdom through Jesus Christ. And that's why 3,000 of them come to faith in Jesus that day. Because they see God's promises fulfilled and they hear them proclaimed to them. And this is a linguistic manifestation of the Spirit for the purpose of gospel proclamation to people from other nations. And it shows up two more times in the book of Acts. It shows up first uh, when the first Gentiles come to faith in Jesus. It's like God is saying, hey, by the way, just in case you're curious, Gentiles can also be followers of Jesus. Aren't you glad? <laughs> right? And so you get this this very same manifestation of the Spirit of God with the very first Gentile believers so that the Jewish people who thought they were the kingdom will get the idea, oh, by the way, Gentiles are included too. They can also receive the Spirit of God. And then it shows up one more time in Acts chapter 19 when Paul is in Ephesus and he meets 12 disciples of John the Baptist who haven't heard about the Holy Spirit, don't understand who Jesus is really, and it isn't seen anywhere else outside of those two places. But what does happen is that ever since these days, God's people are filled with God's Spirit for the same reason that Jesus told them to wait for the Spirit's arrival. Because the Spirit's filling is necessary to carry out the mission that Jesus is sending us to do. Right? The apostles were not capable of doing what Jesus called them to do on their own. That so you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. But before you go do that, wait for the Spirit to show up. Implication being, you're going to need Him to do this that I've called you to do. And ever since the Spirit's arrival, whenever a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, in that very moment, they are baptized by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that their old life dies and is buried, and they are given a new one. That's what we symbolize with water baptism. That the old person that they were before they put their faith in Jesus is dead. And they've been raised to new life in Jesus. And they've been made a part of the body of Christ. They become a Spirit-filled person. A person in whom the Spirit of God has taken up residence. Okay? Now, in addition to that, they become 
the disciple-making community of God's people. Later in Acts chapter 2, we see what kind of organism that the Spirit forms from the people He fills and that Jesus sends on mission into the world. And what we see is a disciple-making community of God's people. Listen to how they're described. I'll read it to you from the text. I love this. And they, this is verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let me explain that. They love each other and they help each other. The Spirit works mightily among them, but these are the same kinds of things that every church today is supposed to be about. We exist to help each other, to teach and to show each other how to follow Jesus in every part of life as we live in community, or the Bible word for that is fellowship with one another. So teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer is a great way to make disciples like Jesus did and like the apostles did. Amen? So to summarize where we are so far, the church is, then, the Jesus-sent, Spirit-filled, disciple-making community of God's people. And what we see next in the book of Acts is who gets to be included. And that's beautiful. What we find out is that Jesus didn't just send Jewish people to reach all the Jewish people of the diaspora all of the exiles around the world. What he did was sent them first to reach their Jewish neighbors. And then Jews from all over the world who came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And then sent them to the Samaritans, people who were kind of regarded as half-Jewish. And then to Ethiopian Jews. And then to Gentiles of all people. Church history tells us that by the middle of the first century, think about this, that less than 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, the gospel had gotten as far east as India, as far west as Spain, as far north as parts of modern-day France and Central Europe, as far south as Ethiopia. Ethiopia, if you're curious, is a long way from Jerusalem hundreds of miles. But it got all the way then. Can we just note the fact that within that span of people, that there's a lot of cultural, linguistic, and ethnic diversity? There are three continents. Africa, Asia, Europe. There are dozens of languages. There are multiple colors of people. There's brown, there's yellow, there's white, there's black. All within that initial group of people. There's all kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of tribes, along with both men and women, slaves and free people, bacon eaters and rat munchers alongside kosher-keeping Jews, 
If you've never been to a part of the world where they eat rats, uh, you should go with me. Um, <laughs> okay? There are lots of places where they are on the menu. All right? Um, there's bearskin wearing barbarians, there's urban sophisticates. This is all part of who the church is. Amen? We embrace, as the church, all cultures. All languages. All colors. All social groups. All kinds of people. The disabled, the able-bodied, the old, the young, the black, the white, the brown, the yellow, the whatever language, whatever sex, we embrace everybody. Because Jesus sent the Gospel to the whole world. Not just the parts that are nearest to us. Amen? And it wasn't easy for the church at first. In fact, if you read the story of the book of Acts, you, you, what you find out is it took God's direct intervention to make it clear to people that He wanted folks from every tribe and nation and language and people group. He had to show Peter, the apostle, the same vision three different times for Peter to get it. And even then, it was still hard. Later, Peter gets rebuked because he thinks all, the, all these Gentile believers really ought to keep kosher. That would be better. Right? Really ought to become a Christian and then become a Jew because that would get you closer to Jesus. Right? And there's a, a tremendous amount of struggle to come to that because a few hard-headed people really had trouble. The idea that the Gospel might not be for people just like them only, but for all kinds of people. By the way, it's still true today, even though some of us are hard-headed who still have trouble with it. Amen? Jesus sent us to form a transcultural disciple-making community, one that includes all kinds of people just like heaven will. All kinds of people. People just like you and people as wild and different from you as you can imagine are all meant to be included in the people of God. So, this Jesus-sent, Spirit-filled, disciple-making, transcultural community that exists both as embassies where God's kingdom is displayed and heralds where it is proclaimed is also a community that does one more thing. It endures persecution. Contrary to what you may have heard from some preachers, and by the way, if he's on TBN, turn that off. <laughs> okay, just that's free, but don't watch that garbage, okay? To sign up to follow Jesus is to run the risk of being hated, marginalized, oppressed, perhaps even martyred. And if these things happen, by the way, according to your New Testament, this is not strange or weird or even unusual. After all, do you remember that Jesus was betrayed, denied, rejected, beaten, tortured, and judicially murdered? So knowing that, what part of signing up to follow that guy would lead you to think that you're going to have a plush life? 
with thick upholstery. Right? We are the people who, for the sake of Jesus, endure persecution. And when you look at the book of Acts, it should not surprise you to read, therefore, of rejection, of estrangement from family members, of beatings, imprisonment, unjust punishment, riots, trials, martyrdom. We should expect to see these things. Because after all, Jesus suffered, so we should expect to. And if they don't happen to us, we should both enjoy that blessing and also pray and check in with the Lord, asking Him to show us if we're living our faith boldly enough. Because if no one dislikes us for the cause of Christ, maybe it's because they don't know that we're Christians. Maybe we've been undercover so successfully they, they haven't caught on yet. Right? And people ought to catch on to the fact that we know Jesus. Jesus' church points to Him when we joyfully endure persecution just as He did, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame. Amen? Paul wrote to Timothy, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a great story about the, um, the preacher John Wesley. And um, I love this story. Uh, he, the, the, the Wesleyans were greatly hated in Wesley's lifetime. And, um, and Wesley had gone three entire days in which no one had cursed him. And so he began to pray and ask the Lord if something had gone wrong. Like, have I sinned in some way? Like, what have I done wrong, Lord, that um, if you've taken your hand off me due to my disobedience, I just want to confess right now that I am not intending to be a rebel against you, but to serve you. And um, anyway, as he finished praying, a guy saw him, cussed at him, and threw a rock at him. And he praised God. <laughs> okay. Now he was not hurt by the rock because apparently Englishmen can't throw. But um, but in any case, he praised God. Right? When the apostles were persecuted, when they, now think about this, they were taken to the same house where Jesus was beaten by the Sanhedrin. They were taken to the same house. I've been to that house. And down below the, the, the high priest Caiaphas' house, you can see the places where they would have hung you up to flog you. And it would have been in the same location where Jesus experienced the same thing a couple of months prior. They would have gone down there and they'd have been like, huh, so this is where the Lord was. And as they, after they got beaten, what does the Scripture say? They went out rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. In other words, this is not a negative thing. This is a positive thing. The people Jesus counts worthy of suffering are those who suffer. This is a mark those who follow Jesus, that we joyfully endure persecution for the sake of the 
last thing. One final way the church uh, that Jesus created points us to Him. He sends us out. He fills us with the Spirit. He forms us into a disciple-making community of God's people that transcends cultural divisions and endures persecution so we can do one important thing, which is fulfill the central mission of evangelizing the world, which is the necessary precursor step to fulfilling the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations, languages, tribes, and people groups, so that people of every kind might one day worship by the Spirit around the throne of God our Father and of the Lamb who was slain and who was was raised from the dead once again for us all. And if you read the book of Acts, that's what the last two-thirds of the book of Acts itself are about. About God's people going and making disciples throughout the world despite beatings and imprisonment, despite riots and death, despite injustice and poverty and condemnation and exclusion, God's people keep carrying out Jesus' mission by making Jesus known everywhere you go. You know, one of the things about Pilgrim's Progress that encourages me greatly is it's a really joyful book, but it's written by a guy in prison for proclaiming Jesus, John Bunyan, the original version of it. The most joyful book in the New Testament, probably the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians the word joy appears dozens of times. It's written from a prison. What kind, of, what kind of people write books about how great Jesus is from a jail cell? Jesus conquered the people. That's who. Right? Um, just want to conclude this here. Men and women... Beloved of the Lord Jesus, it should not surprise you to find out that this is still God's purpose in the church today. I've kind of walked you through the outline of the book of Acts. Jesus still forms the church and sends it. The Spirit-filled, disciple-making community of God's people with the intention that they will transcend cultural divisions by the Gospel, that they will endure persecution for the sake of the Gospel, and that they will evangelize the world with the Gospel. That is the mission. That is why we're here, at least in large measure. There's more to following Jesus on the individual level than this, and Pastor Josh will get into that next week when he talks about the epistles and how they relate to us, how they relate to Jesus. But this is the mission as a whole. This is the mission. And since that's the case, I want to challenge us all in three different ways as we close our time in God's Word. Number one, are you part of this community? Let me clarify what I mean. Lots of people can attend a church uh, be part of a worship service like this one, lots, just like lots of people gathered around Jesus to hear Him teach. But not all of them. Not even all of them that identified themselves and were identified by Jesus as disciples were really Jesus' disciples. Remember, there was still Judas. 
And there were a whole bunch of people who, when Jesus' teaching rubbed them the wrong way, rather than turning the cat around, they decided they would turn around and walk away from Jesus. In the same way, you might have attended here many years or even self-identify as a Christian, but you have never become Jesus' disciple through personal faith in Jesus' death on the cross for your sins and in His resurrection to give you new life. And if that's true, then here's what I can tell you. That unfortunately, you aren't yet filled by the Spirit and therefore you aren't yet part of the community of God's people and therefore you can't effectively make disciples or even really be used of God in the way that He wants to use you. But if that's you and you're realizing that right now, let me invite you in this very moment to change all of that by putting your faith in Jesus and receiving in that moment the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who is both the deposit and the seal that marks you as part of God's family and the power who enables you to serve God effectively in carrying out the mission. This is how you put your faith in Jesus. Let me make it real simple. Okay? If you've never, if you've never known Jesus before, Here's what you need to know. You need to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He died on the cross for your sins. He is your substitute. You're a sinner. Amen? You've done all kinds of things and thought all kinds of things and failed to do all kinds of things and failed to think all kinds of things. Uh, in such a way that every part of you is marked by, distorted by, damaged by sin. You're a sinner. As a sinner, you are destined, as of this moment, for hell. If you were to die today, apart from faith in Jesus, that's where you would go. You need to know that. Jesus came to die in your place as your substitute to take away the penalty of sin from you. So that if you die with faith in Jesus, guess where you do not go? You do not go to hell. Instead, you go into the presence of the living God who loved you and sent His Son for you. So you need to know that you're a sinner, that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins, and you need to know that Jesus was raised from the dead to give you new life. Jesus did not stay dead. When He went into the ground, He did not they dead. Why? Because death is the penalty for sin. And since Jesus was not a sinner, death could not keep him. Walked out of the grave, and he offers new life to everyone who puts their faith in him. So what do I have to do to do that? Well, you need to put your faith in Jesus. Faith means trust. Okay? That essentially what you do and you can do it right here as we're sitting here. You, you may want to talk to the Lord to do this. Okay? It would be good if you did. Uh, but tell Him, Lord, I am putting my trust in Jesus right now. I am transferring all the, the things I've trusted in instead of Jesus. My being good. My, you know... Being a decent human being, buying Boy Scout popcorn and Girl Scout cookies 
you know, whatever it is that you're relying on that you think makes you a good person, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. And apart from Jesus, I'm, I should go to hell. And that's where I'm headed. But I'm putting my trust in Jesus right now. I believe He died on the cross for me. I believe that His death paid for my sins. I believe that He was raised from the dead to give me new life. And that moment, the Holy Spirit will enter into your life. It's not about you and what you've done and haven't done and all the rest of that. It is about what Jesus has done for you and relying on Him. So if you've never done that and you are like still got questions about it, see me afterwards. I will sit here all afternoon and into tomorrow to help you understand what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. I'll stay here as long as you need. In fact, we got some elders here. They'll do the same thing. This is that important. Your eternal destiny hangs on what you've done with Jesus Christ. It is absolutely the most important thing that you can do is to put your faith, to put all of your trust in Jesus. You were probably told as a kid, don't put your eggs in one, all in one basket. Let me tell you, that is true about everything except this. Put all of them on Jesus. Push all the chips to the middle and go all in. Use a different metaphor, right? Go all in on Jesus because He is the place. He is the person in whom eternal life is. And if you do that, you will receive the Holy Spirit and He will change your life from that moment on. Secondly, what's your role in the mission? All of us are called to make disciples beginning where we are right now. So let me ask you, where are yours? Where are they? If that's your calling... You better have some. Amen? I remember being in seminary and Pastor Tommy Nelson out of Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas. First week I'm at seminary. He says, Men, women, you are called to make disciples. So, show me where they are. Who looks to you to learn how to follow Jesus? Who looks to you learning how to follow Jesus as you point them to Him and follow Him yourself? If you're a parent, one of the answers needs to be, these are my children and I am teaching them to follow Jesus. I am saying to them every day, come follow me as I follow Jesus. If you're a grandparent, guess what? You have the wonderful and blessed privilege of pointing your grandkids to Jesus. Whether their parents know Him or not, you can make disciples with your grandkids and your kids. Um, if you live next door to anybody, guess why? Because they're part of your calling. Fulfill your mission. Men and women, beloved of the Lord Jesus, 
Jesus' command is your commission. Make disciples. If you aren't sure how, join me, join one of the other men, join one of the other women who are training people how to do it. Or simply ask yourself, you could start with this question. If I had to move a brand new believer in Jesus into my house for six months, and I knew that everything that I said and everything that they did, they were going to do, what would need to change in my life, if anything? Right? Start there. That's a good, that's a good place to know what would I need to teach them? What would I need to show them? What would I need to make sure that they imitated? And what would I need to make sure they didn't? Amen? Carefully answering that question gets you a long way toward being a devoted disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. Because men and women, the reality is you are writing a gospel a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. People read what you write, whether faithless or true, so what is the gospel according to you? Amen? What we do and what we say, we ought to be able to say to people, follow me. I am trying to follow Jesus, and as I follow Jesus, imitate me like I imitate Him. Make disciples. Last thing, consider consider if God might be sending you to the nation. And you might be sitting out there thinking, I am too old for that. You might be right. God might be sending you anyway. Remember when Abraham had... Uh, became a parent to the child of promise? How old was he? A hundred. When God called, when God called uh, Moses to go lead his people out of Egypt, how old was he? Anybody know? Eighty. Okay. How old was he when he went to glory? A hundred and twenty. So everybody who's younger than that, raise your hand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God might still call you to do something amazing even in your old age. And so consider if God might be sending you to the nations. And if you're a young person, ask yourself this question really hard. Is God sending me to the nation? Maybe God's calling on your life is far more uncomfortable than you ever thought that it would be. And He is calling you to pack your bags and head out to some place where you've never been to proclaim to people who have never known Him the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. It could be inside a prison. It could be that you are called to form a foster home at your house and to move people in to it who need to know Jesus. It could be that you're going to be sent into a disaster area or a war zone. My daughter Ashley asked me a really uncomfortable question this week and I had to think about my answer. She said, Dad, what would you think if I signed up for Samaritans First to go be a missionary and a minister in Israel 
as they're having all these refugees in this war. I think God might call me someday to go into a hot zone like that and use my medical training. What do you think? What do you think we told her? If God is calling you, you ride to the sound of the gun. That's what we told her. And God might be calling you to do the same thing. To sacrifice comfort and the people that you love and the life that you know and even speaking in the language of your heart to go speak to other people who need to know Jesus. And if God is calling you, don't hang up the phone. Answer the call. Amen? Because this is our mission. To be the Jesus-sent Spirit disciple-making community that transcends by the Gospel every cultural division, that endures persecution for the sake of the Gospel and evangelizes the world with the Gospel by which we are saved. Amen? Let's pray. And then let's celebrate and eat. Okay? God, our Heavenly Father, You have called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of King Jesus. You have set us free from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of Your own beloved Son. You have bought us with the blood of Jesus. You have given us the Holy Spirit. You have given us Your Word which proclaims the truth to us. You have given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand you put us in a community that we might become a disciple and make disciples. And you've all done all this because you love us with an everlasting love that began in eternity and continues into the ages of the ages. And Father, we are amazed by your grace. We're amazed. And we rejoice in it. And we give you praise here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.